Okay, guys, um, welcome back. Uh, and thank I hope you guys are enjoying your Easter holiday. Um, thank you again for, for coming out again for this uh, weekly conversation. Um, last week was really interesting. I'm sure you guys enjoyed um, that very thought provoking conversation we had with you. Um, this week, uh, we have another troublemaker in the house, very renowned. <laughs> Very renowned troublemaker. Um, you know, I don't know why I'm even the one I should be on the sideline, but I don't know what we have in common. Whatever it is, it's now my responsibility to lead to this conversation. Um, that troublemaker is no other person than Nicholas Ibike. Uh, Nicholas is the head of investigation at Premium Times. Uh, before that, he was deputy editor for investigation, um, the position he held for a few years. Before then, he was an investigative reporter for uh, Nest newspapers. For those who read Nest newspapers, it was in the heat of the whole yeah, Dua uh, presidency, and there was they were always getting into trouble with the government then. And the person who led the charge of every trouble they got into with the government was this very, very Nicholas as well, writing all about. Um, yeah, it was um, sickness and secret travel abroad and being moved around from hospital to hospital. So Nicholas has been has been making trouble for a very long time. It's not it's not new to him. Um, Nicholas has you know degrees in uh, journalism. Um, you know he's you know this is this is not something clearly when you look at Nicholas' educational background. It's not something he, he just happened into it was it was clear from the kind of education he has gotten that journalism is something that is part of him so um so we have nicholas today nicholas welcome to the show um we have Mondu. everybody here you're familiar with all of us so welcome to the show guys any word for our viewers maybe say happy new easter to them you know? yeah well um happy Easter um to the viewers out there I don't know how I got this um, thing about being a troublemaker. I'm not doing my job like everybody does. People are not happy. I mean, something troublemakers will say. I'm just trying to end my. I'm just trying to end my 2K, my daily 2K. Good trouble. Good trouble. Trouble. But I I kept getting into trouble somehow just to end my daily 2K. In fact, as a journalist, my own self never reached 2K daily. Yeah, yeah. It's good that you are earning a living while doing something you love, which is making uh, trouble. So we're all in good company. Um, so I think I think I will just I start with um, maybe I should ask you this question: What's the worst? What's the most dangerous thing you've done in terms of doing investigative reporting? What's the most dangerous story hmm. that you feel your life was? Um, was in danger, or you, you were really scared about how um, those you were investigating will respond. Maybe one or two examples. But, let, me, let me see. Um, yeah, the, the story I did in Cote d'Ivoire, which is like the most recent, was because we were going after some very big guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I was worried. Now, this was the prime minister. I, at the time, he was the uh, minister of defense or something. Yeah. So, but I mean, he was perhaps the most 
powerful man after uh, Watara in the country, which was very obvious the moment we, we got into the country that it was that powerful. So, um, yeah, so I knew I was doing something very, I mean, dangerous that would, I mean, and we, and like we have seen from the um, blowback that that story has, has had, um, it wasn't something that we were not expecting. So, and again, I was in a different country. I know mm -hmm. the way Francophone Africa or West Africa see Nigeria, where they see us as criminals and everything, they see us as, a tr as troublemakers, generally. So, I'm um, this Nigerian journalist there. Um, and I know that if I get into any trouble, I'm not so confident that, that my country, I was there with a Belgian reporter who I know his country would quickly rise up and have, his, have him out. But I'm, I was not too conf confident about my own country. government. <laughs> <laughs> so I was careful. So that, that, that was scary while I was there. I mean, on social media, I assume I was having fun, but um, I, I was going to places I went to, one of the species that they call a fumoir. This is like, um, um, how do I, what's the name? I, I mean, it's like small shanties, drug shanties. Basically, there are shanties where people go, and I mean, that, that was the first time I saw people taking crack, like real life, taking crack and selling drugs and, and hard drugs and, 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 and all of that. I mean, I mean, it's funny that me, way they form the ghost boy. We'll have to go all the way to Kotko to go and see that 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 type of stuff. So, but yeah. but it was something that happened, you know. So that was scary too. In Nigeria, I have yeah, I found myself in a couple of scary um, situation. Um, I remember um, there was a time that was doing next. I had gone. Soludo was the CBN um, governor. Uh, governor then. So we had, we had gone to do a story. I still remember the story then. The title was Living Large. So it was during the, those time of the bank reform mm -hmm. when Solito basically gave the bank blank check and they were doing whatever they were doing. So I mean, Solito talks about economic reform these days and all that. I just shake my head. Say, bros, when you were in CBN, go, go, no. You made this bank uh, MDs. They were like, I mean, um, they were basically like, uh, um, I mean, emperors doing their thing and doing, doing whatever. People like Cecilia Ibru could do whatever he did. Erastos could do whatever they did then. Because they do allow them to do what, I mean, give them like free hands to do whatever they, they were doing at, at, at the time. So we did a story about So Dudu. I had to travel to his village. I traveled to his village. I had to climb a tree to take pictures of his house. And uh, while I was doing that, there were some, some talks around his house who actually kidnapped me. <laughs> they abducted me. They gave me a couple of slaps, dragged me into his into his house, and I was kept there for a couple of hours before I had to. I showed them my ID card and everything. Soludo didn't come down, but they took my ID card to him. And then he saw that I was next, and he knew that there would be trouble. So after a while, he asked him to let me go, but not without some back slaps and and all that. But well, <laughs> but it was fine. So <laughs> so I mean, it comes with the job. So I've done I've done this. I've done that. Um, so I, I don't like to think about the week so much. Uh, I like to think about this, this adrenaline that pumps into my body when I see a very strong story. So the risk doesn't come up. After I'm like, come on, boy. You actually did, did you actually do all of those things? You don't like yourself. But yeah, story has to be done anyway. So I think, that, I think that's the nature of troublemakers. It's just <laughs> the adrenaline that keeps them going. It's not about the risk and all of that. It's just let's make more trouble. <laughs> 
you know, every time there's an opportunity to make trouble, presents yourself itself. You are excited and you want to run there. I have I have this journalist friend when remember when Nabi Kanu and uh, Nigerian soldiers were running around Umahe and not the rest of them. So there was yeah. he, he had gotten a tip that the army was going to storm uh, Nabi Kanu's um, family home and try to arrest him. And, you know, there was clear threat that you know, get violent. And this journalist friend of mine was packing bag and saying he needs to be there. He wants to witness it. I'm like, you at once saying this thing is going to turn violent. And you at one packing bag to run down there. Like, what's the good? Like, don't you like yourself? You're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. Not, I want that I will climb a tree and take pictures. I'm like, wow. A stray bullet hits you there, is your dead body. But I get how, you know, how when that opportunity for a story comes, you know, all you think about is that story. You don't think about all of the risks and dangers that come with uh, venturing into enemy territory. I was curious about when you were talking about your, your fight in Cote d'Ivoire. Do you speak French? No, I don't speak French. I'm just learning French, right? I'm just learning French. Um, on um, uh, Duolingo right now. Okay. Yeah, because of, um, I had an, I, I mean, there was a, there's a follow-up story on the story we did in Cote d'Ivoire. I had to travel to Cotonou and I used a fixer and I wasn't happy with the reporting because I was, the, the story in Cote d'Ivoire, because the other guy, the Belgian guy, speaks good French and we understood the story because that was we're partner, we shared byline and we didn't speak together. So it was easy for us. Um, he speaks English too, so it was easy for us to ask the right question. But when I was when I went to Cote d'Ivoire, I mean, I went to Cotonou just um, a couple of months ago, and um, this guy didn't my fixer didn't understand the story. He speaks English, but he kind of basically was blocking me from asking some of the questions that I needed to ask. You know, so I basically didn't make the reporting come out the way I would have wanted to. I, would, I wanted it to come out if I was if I was if I had uh, mm -hmm. language. Uh, competence in French. I mean, I've had competence in French. So I, I got by and I was very angry. So I said, doing, do, do, I mean, I said learning French in uh, Duolingo. Though I'm tired of them now. I've not done for a week now. And they've sent me, oh no, Duolingo, Duolingo is what we call change. You know, those, <laughs> <laughs> you remember change, you know, <laughs> they keep combating you with all sorts of messages and everything. I just, <laughs> for now, but I'll get back after the Easter break. I, I, I'll get back to the program. So that's fine. So I, and, uh, my, my, my friends will eventually get to ask questions, but I have a couple of lead questions I need to get out of the way and can get into having um, conversations. So the other question I wanted to ask you is this. Um, when you write your investigative story, don't you worry about yeah. the life of those who endanger uh, inadvertently, you know, unknowingly endangering some people's lives by publishing your story. Is that not something um, you worry about? Are you just only yeah, it's, it's, it's always a it's always a, a present uh, concern. I mean, when you do story, but because we handle our story professionally, you know, we try to when we see that somebody could get into risks. Like for instance, I tell people that I am not. Um, a novelist. I don't manufacture, I don't write fiction. So, and I don't manufacture stories. My sources are everything to me. Without those sources, I will not get these stories done. I mean, I can think of story ideas and I can go to report them, but if nobody speaks to me, then how am I going to write the story if nobody tells me things? So it's, 
very important to every journalist, every professional journalist who understands the ethics of the profession, that they have to critically protect their sources. So yeah, I'm concerned that um, um, this, this happens sometime. Um, it's a present um, concern, but yeah, I try to protect my source. I try not to reveal them um, unnecessarily and, and all of that. So this is um, something that is, um, that I, we have a way we take care of that. That uh, so I've not had any case where a source had gotten into trouble from the story that I can't remember having any of such um, um, cases in the past because I make, I, it's, it's, it's top out there. One of the first things I have to check to, I mean, to make sure that my sources are protected and nobody knows anything about yeah, what they what's have the, said. What's your beef so, I don't have a beef with the Gossip government. I'm just a reporter. I have zero beef with the Gossip government. But my <laughs> now the way I'm saying it also shows that I have beef already. Um, um, <laughs> but um, the, the issue is this: I, I, I mean, I'm going to be moving around. Sorry, I need to hand. Uh, yeah. Sorry, um, just hold, hold on for a moment. Please. You can turn off the video. You can turn off the video for a moment. Okay, good. <laughs> So I, my, my phone is ringing. A friend is coming over. So I had to hand over the phone to my wife to, uh, okay. to talk to him. Okay. Uh, so what, what's your so, um, what, what is no, I don't have a beef. Yeah, so good. Um, let's, let's talk. My, 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 okay, let's go to this. My brief because of government is that this is a government that has been in power for 20 odd years in the States. And this government has not been able to solve any major problem. I, I, I put it to people who support Lagos State government to tell me one major problem, one major, I mean, problem of a modern city like Lagos, or I mean, of a mega city. I don't, Lagos is a, I mean, in collection of slums anyway, let's not even go there. Um, but of a mega city like Lagos, 21 million people, like you say, and we have not been able to solve one problem. Is it the problem of traffic? Lagos, I mean, 90% of Lagos, Lagos don't have uh, portable water in their houses. I mean, um, it's just a problem of, um, just name it, just good roads and all of that. I've never been able to handle the talks that, that, that are everywhere. You can't even, you bring out a camera to shoot anything in Lagos now, talks are going to store around you. So I look at this government with so much potential, with so much money, and the people who run this government uh, come from that talk of pro-democracy activists who fought the military government at the time, who was in battle with the military government, most of these things that we have in this were the things that, that they preach against. There were people from the Nadeco stock and everything, and they call themselves progressive. And, and, and honestly, I don't think the Lagos State government has run its affair like a progressive government will run its affair. A government that relies on, truck, on, on talks with weak elections, a government that, I mean, that basically runs its, like, 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 like a secret court. I mean, I've seen opaque government. I mean, but the one in Lagos is basically a dark room. You don't know anything happening there. They are not transparent. And so every time I'm frustrated, and I see that the godfather of Lagos politics, Bola Tinubu, wants to run for president. Are we going to carry out, I mean, I didn't need, I mean, the proper example for how to run the, the um, um, how to run Nigeria as a country. With the way he has run, the, with the way he has overseen the affair of Lagos State government. Because to be honest with you, 
I mean, he is the de facto governor if, for the past um, 20 odd years. I said we wanted to see myself. I mean, he's the de facto governor for, the, for 20 odd years. So, so this is the fact. This is the first I And as somebody who has lived, who was born in Lagos, I was born in Lagos, I have lived in Lagos all my life. I mean, um, I'm frustrated, but I've gone and I've seen other city with not even as half the potential as Lagos State has. And they've been able to do good things for um, the people of, of, I mean, the residents of that city, but of those cities. But look at Lagos. It's frustrating. Every day I get frustrated. Like, because, I mean, I'm a Lagosian. I was born here. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I, I'm tired when I people say, oh, you have beef. I don't have beef. But because run the state properly. You've been, you've been in power for 20 plus years. Run it yeah. properly. You could have at least solved one problem. Lagos is surrounded by water. They call it the state of aquatic splendor. And we don't have water. We don't have pipe on water. Either. I mean, you can solve that at least. I mean, you saw this crony democracy where you give people, your friends and family are given contracts. Brother Tinubu's family basically runs everything in, in the state. His daughter is the Yaloja. You know what that means to be the Yaloja of Lagos? It's a state that, that is powered by the informal sector. You know what that means? You know that, that amount of power? If Brother Tinubu's daughter say, no market should open in Lagos today, no market will open in Lagos today. And Lagos, the state will be shut down economically. If it's for one week, it will not happen. No market will dare open in one week. That's immense power with such people. And what have you, what have Lagos got for that? Zero, absolutely nothing. So, so um, this, I, I totally feel your anger as someone who used to live in Lagos. I literally woke up every day, went to work, but pray to God that God get me out of this place because I felt like I was already I was living in real hell, you know. So I totally feel your frustration, and I was just playing devil's advocate by asking you um, what your beef is with, with Lagos. It's not uh, this thing. It's just I wanted you to be able to speak openly the way you have done. So did uh, TB Joshua place a curse on you? <laughs> oh, <please. laughs> <laughs> he did, he did, he did, he did. I was <laughs> Somebody said I would have cancer. Every day I keep taking myself that I will have cancer. But I don't have cancer yet. <laughs> One of his members, they placed a curse on me, but I'm happy that I, I'm still here, I'm still breathing. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, day. But um, the story has to be done. I tell people that stories have, I mean, when the story needs to be done, the story needs to be done. I mean, it doesn't, I don't care if it is um, anybody. If Jesus Christ was alive today and he did something that I need to write a story about, I will write the story about him. I'm sorry. I mean, he's the Messiah, but I have to do my story. So, Timothy Joshua is a demigod to many people. I mean, he's perhaps the most, if not, I mean, the most, perhaps the second, I mean, let's say top three most influential preacher in the continent. I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, in Southern Africa, it's very huge. I mean, and, um, but when what happened in his, um, at his church happened, the story had to be told, you know? All those tales by moonlight about aircraft flying and vibration pulling down houses, he can tell that to the birds. I mean, I mean, <laughs> he can't, <laughs> you know, the story had, I mean, I have to tell the story. The fact was that 
he built a building without approval that is structurally defective. And the story, this, the building collapsed and um, killed, um, I mean, over 116 people. That is the truth. I mean, he can say whatever he wants to say. He can call what says whatever he wants to call it. But the truth is that he built a structurally, a structurally defective building, which, I mean, somewhere else, the guy should be cooling off in jail today. But I mean, this is the country we have found ourselves where some people are above the law, like what we have seen. T.P. Joshua had not been charged to court. Rather, I mean, the state government was so funny. They, they decided to, you know, you know what they do? They charge the entity, the church itself, without charging a physical person. So you can't send the church to jail. The worst you can, yeah, the worst you can do is find the church. But I don't think they need to find them. Yeah, yeah. So, but in, in, in cases where we have hundreds of lives perished, I think somebody has to take responsibility. So, but, 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 but what we are seeing here is um, we saw the contractors being put together and everything, and all sort of lies told. You know, so Chief Joshua went ahead and and um, on his social media, is I, I, I bought a T-shirt in 2011 when I was in Germany. I, I went to Hamburg, you know, and Hamburg in Germany, they had a football, the local football club is St. Pauli. Now, mm. St. Pauli, the logo of St. Pauli is a skull and crossbone. So mm. I just want to feel like, okay, I was there, so I bought the skull and, and crossbone T-shirt. Of course, there's a little bit of rebel in me, knowing that Nigerians, well, hey, sick it God. But so I find that, okay, let me just go in and make this rule angry a little. So I took some pictures with it. That was the picture they went and picked. I said I was a secret court member. I was leading a, a, a gang of courtists who was coming to, to disturb, the, to attack church members and, and, and all of that. Also, all sort of like, when we did Panama Paper, his name came out as having a, an offshore company. Of course, he's not the only preacher who has done those. Our, our main uh, 5G guy, um, Chris Oyakipome, Oya has a series of uh, offshore company. Yeah, he has money too. So, but, but that's fine. <laughs> but you, so, you, can't, you can't help yourself. You just can't help yourself. Right? <laughs> you need to jump. I'm telling you, man, you're well, fighting. You're not just fighting. You're not just fighting one arm of the establishment. You're fighting like think of the religious and the secular. Wow. Everybody. Yeah, you're fighting everybody. But, but when when you're in this country. And there's a lot of things going wrong. You can't help but that's like there's so much to fight, so much I don't know, I'll get overwhelmed. There's so much, there's so many criminals parading in Nigeria as whatever. So you have to just tell the story, really. Yeah. So but so and I like the fact that uh the whole TB Joshua trial, you followed the court process. So in that one instance, mm. you're not only taking on TB Joshua, you are also taking on the Lagos State government. And their yeah. indirect efforts to kill the story it was it was really a good a, a good uh, effort. And I wish I, sometimes I say one day I'll just any day you offend me I'll just take you to TB Joshua. Let him help me solve this problem because he's a part of me. But, but see, but see, my main problem with with that story was not even TB Joshua. It was my colleague journalists. They attacked me in the courtroom. I was in court promising. I was going to come to that because he eventually published a very lengthy blog on the role of Brown yeah. in journalism, right? So again, yes. like, like I just said, you are fighting everybody on your part who you think is the problem. So you are taking on the establishment, you are taking on the religious leaders, you are also taking on your colleagues and their Brown envelope attitude to journalism. So tell yeah, us a bit about how 
how how much of a problem is brown envelope to the Nigerian journalism? The, 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 the reason the Nigerian media is messed up is brown envelope. Let's not let's not even take it anywhere. The reason the Nigerian media is messed up the way it is right now is brown envelope. And see, let's even stop there. Um, there are brown envelopes where you go and you queue up. That is even very disgusting, you know. You go and queue up and they pay them 10,000 naira after a press conference. That is like the dredge of the whole brand envelope thing. But what about the ones that the Ogas collects? You know, the senior editors. You know, we were talking just last week with some, some, some of my co colleagues. I was talking about a senior editor who, 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 who drives yeah. a, I mean, a, a, a G wagon and has a house in Banana Island. <laughs> and, and so, how much is his salary? We have shopping malls in Lagos owned by uh, editors who come on TV and write all sort of all sort of you know, stuff against um, against okay. um, the uh, against the government. But but they, but they do all they do. I mean, because so so let's go back to brand envelope. Is that bad? Is that bad because it affects the quality of stories and it and it it goes further down because what they do is this. Media owners don't pay journalists in Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria is a low, I mean, wage country. Wage country yes. But journalism, yeah, journalism is worst. And it's perhaps the most, I mean, it's worst the, the kind of pay. People go for, for months without getting any pay, you know. And we have a famous Nigerian publisher who was owing several months and I told his people that, what are you asking for? That you have your ID card. I mean, Go in and use it to, to make money. That is your ticket. That's your meal ticket. So the journalist ID, the press ID card, as, as we've seen as a money-making venture, and you see that everything is paid for. Stories so the other day, somebody in a well-known um, government establishment, somebody who was representing that establishment, I did a story and they told me, Nicholas, we are ready to give you a blank check. This is this year. I'm not talking about five years ago. This year, and we're ready to give you a blank check for you to drop your story. Somebody who was speaking on behalf of of an agency that fights corruption in this country. I did a story, and they offered me a blank check. When I said no, he said, "Ah, uh, bros, people don't build hearts for something like this." So, imagine yeah. if I was not principled. Yeah, and I said that, "Oh, guy, this is my rent house. So why would they stay?" This is an opportunity for me. They were asking me to name how much I want to collect. And they were going to pay me. They were that serious. They were going to pay me, you know. But I just told them that it's not possible. This story had to go. And, and, and the story was published. I mean, I didn't get anything. I'm poor. I mean, I don't have money. I'm here. But um, what I also tell journalists again is that some of us have been able to resist brand envelope, not because we rely solely on our salary. We have been more creative because as a journalist, you have skills that you can use to make extra money, you know? So I do research, I do due diligence investigation, which brings some foreign exchange, you know? Uh, it's not, it doesn't come often, but if you get six in a year, that is good money, you know? So you put yourself out there, use your skill to make money, some legitimate money. Don't rely on people offering you 10,000 naira or giving you money. So the reason that journalism is messed up and it's from it's from up top down to the to the to the bottom. I have been to an office, a major office in Nigeria, of a Nigerian publisher has an office, his business has an office in an, in a government a, in a government a, a, a agency. 
He has somebody that goes wake up in the morning to go and work there, doing PR for a government agency. Now tell me, how are you going? You see, because of watchdog, we are supposed to keep a watch on these people. So how are you going to? And this is an agency. In fact, it's the MPA. Let me not. Let me not. I mean, I mean, I'm bad. I mean, it's the MPA. I mean, the airport authority. Let's let's say it. So this is, a, this is an agency that is critical to the, I mean, to the economy. And this is an agency that, that a lot of money passes through. If you see something, how are you going to publish it? If you have an office, you have the kid gave you an office, you have a staff in the, doing PR for the MPA. How are you going to do that? And you come out and every day, every weekend, you write a column and, and rough to death about Nigeria and, and all sorts of rubbish. So, I mean, we see these things and uh, they've told me, I mean, the former CPS of um, Ambody, there was a time when he was appointed CPS recently. I mean, though, no, when he was appointed CPS then, I went to his office and was offering me money. I said, no, I wasn't going to. So, I know your time is when you are old, when you are old and poor, you'll not be running and begging us for money. By then, it will be too late. I said, I said, sir, I didn't pray. God will not allow me to come and beg you when I'm poor and, and old. Funny enough, I saw him again after he left, and he wanted to plant this funny story about uh, this the Ambode and Lagos State government fight. He brought the document, and there was nothing. He was saying, "I said, do you?" When I went to his office, he said, uh, "Come on." I said, "No, no, don't give me money. Let me look at this document you have given me. If it is worth writing the story, I'll write the story. But keep your money." But meanwhile, do you remember that when you were at the uh, CPS, I came yeah. to the office, and you were telling me that. Uh, you were telling me that I, when, when I'm poor, I'm going to beg you. Today, you're not in, in, in government anymore. Oh. Today, you're I'm saying no. So that's how many years ago till now, I'm still saying no. And I won't be poor to ask you for money. Keep, keep, your, keep your money. Eventually, the story he gave us, the document was not complete. So I told him that I'm not going to write it. I'm not going to write, write the story if I don't have evidence. I don't want to put my paper into a libel case and all, and all of that. Well, they gave the story to our reporter who just slammed it, and then that, and that was it. That's fine. You, you so, just, yeah. Every, every, every part of you just causes trouble, trouble, trouble. But if I say it, I want for you to see yourself. You were trying to, you were trying to control yourself. I, don't, I beg, let me say it as it is. Let nobody will die. Let me say this thing. Let us know where we are. So, I mean, People do this because we are not just making this thing up. There's a lot of corruption in the media. If you think the police is corrupt, try the Nigerian media. Mm. I'm, I'm serious. Try I, the Nigerian I, media. It's I have, I have, yeah. I have one more question, and then I'm sure my colleagues are itching to, to jump in. I have one more question. It's related to Nest newspaper. And mm. um, maybe two problems. One part is um, you were part of the team that sort of showed Nigeria what was actually going on behind the scene with respect to the Yadwa presidency and what um, mm. came after you guys um, you know fully to the point of uh, ensuring that the newspaper went uh, on the ground uh, and I think that was your first instinct with the major newspaper in Nigeria right and uh, but that's were... my first journalism job actually as I journalism with next I was that was I was a rookie rookie reporter from next so so, so, I, so, so, so journalism didn't turn you, you came into it with the whole troublemaking. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. 
I'm already making trouble. I'm fighting. I'm punching people with teeth. I'm breaking mouth outside. I just converted it into journalism. Somebody said I would have been a good Lagos admiral if I was not a I was not a journalist. Maybe. Well, so the reason I of that is that so there is a a track recording this history of mm. you uh your whole journalism career taking on uh, the powerful people and you did a very important story about the lucky um shooting uh last october you know finding the very community that witnessed all of that and there was an immediate uh, response from the Lagos state government not really to your story but to the witnesses that you have interviewed. And you know, remember I started off saying, how do we balance um, sort of people who are at the receiving end of this uh, important story? It was, it was a very important story, but Lagos State government responded immediately by demolishing that community. Um, these are some of the risks that come with the job. Did you see that coming? Did you see- Well, that I saw that coming, first thing first. Yeah, yeah. first thing first. Let me just go back to let me. I'll come back to Lagos State and their reaction to um, that community. Uh, but let me talk about next phase. Without next, uh, maybe even if I was a journalist, maybe I'll be collecting brand envelope because what I what I understood is that most people who collect brand envelope don't really know that don't really know the ethical implication of collecting brand. I've spoken to colleagues who collect it, and when you try to explain to them the implication of collecting brand envelope, they don't understand because they grow up into a culture where it has been normalized. So those of us who don't collect brand envelope, we are seen as the old ones out there. You know, So most of these people you see collect it because they think it's the normal thing, it's the right thing for them to do. So that is why they collect the brand envelope. You know, it's because they think it's the right thing for, for them to uh, do. Basically, next step to move next step to from um, uh, who I am uh, as a journalist to today, and um, if I was, if I, if I had not worked there, if I had not, I, I'm sorry, I have some very <laughs> mad with this um, Sorry, I'm sorry. Some some of my friends just, just walked into my house, and they all seem drunk. Anyway, because let them just stay there. Anyway, um, so if I had not worked at Next. Uh, if I don't work at next, maybe like I said, I'll be I'll be accepting brand envelope and all of that. But 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 next has helped to basically form my character as a journalist because Dele, I mean, he's not a perfect person. Nobody is perfect. Um, no 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 nobody is perfect. Um, but but uh, 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 but what he has done was that he was able to he was able to like hold us and told us. We, we had, I mean, we had three weeks training. Everybody, they are at next. They basically retrained us and made it very important, made it very compulsory that as a journalist, this is in, I mean, it was a no-go area for you. Zero tolerance for brand envelope, zero tolerance for journalism. It was hammered into our head every day. And so, and that culture also helped. The pay was good. I mean, some months ago, we were doing some, calculation we converted our pay then at next to dollars you know and we converted what we were earning now what we are earning now to dollar and find that we are as a, as a rookie reporter i earn more than i'm earning now as an editor <laughs> <laughs> because of um how 
because of the, the value of the Naira. Uh, if you look at the Naira, it's much more. But the value, what I was earning 12 years ago, if I, if I convert it, convert it in, into dollars, and basically I'm earning less than I'm earning then. You know? So, but the pay was good, and we had no reason not to collect brand value from anybody. People thought we were mad. So that is with next. So I, I thank Dele all the day for making me who I am today. I thank uh, Uncle Dabsi, who yeah, was my dad's editor, who basically taught me everything I know for making me who I, who I am today. So that is that about that. But with the Lagos State people, now back to that one. When, when I did the lucky story, immediately we got there, we told, we told the um, residents that, do you understand the implication of what is going to happen? That you know that Lagos State government is going to come after you once the story is out. And they were up for it because they were angry. They were happy about what has happened. So, so they were ready. They were actually ready to... They didn't care at the point. What we, made, we made them understood what the issue was. What the issue was. And, and they understood what the problem was because they saw everything. And they knew. And we also... I won't go into details, but we provided a lot of support for many of them there. Even before their shanties were, were, I mean, was pulled down, we had provided, I remember from my pockets, most of them who were shot, I, I paid out from, out from my pocket, paid their hospital, bought them drug, paid for some hospital bill, bought them food. And even for several weeks, we were doing all of these things just to make sure that some of them are, I mean, are well taken care of. Um, so that was what happened. I mean, really. So they knew yeah. what was coming. They knew what was coming. They understood and they knew what was yeah. coming. Um, on you, um, I'm sure you have Long list. Hello. I think um I think Bane Bane should go first. Okay, Bane, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, I think I think you've asked a lot of the questions. Um, exactly. That was on my that was on you 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 really you really really covered um a lot of the bases. If I'm going to be honest with you, um I just have two questions that I was going to follow up on. One is um it's more personal to be honest. Be honest, almost everything that we're talking about today is personal. But my question, my first question is, how was because I've I've read about you know your you know your childhood, you know, from all the information I've I can glean from you know the internet. And can I ask that how your childhood, you know, your growing up, how do you think it impacted on who you are today? Do you think it did? How did it? And then that's, that's Oh, I think question. it did a lot. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, that was my first question. And then my second question was, all over the world, I, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be to this, all over the world, especially in the West, there's a talk of, mm. you know, journalism is under threat by, because of social media, is the rise of what is called the citizen journalist. Right? Mm. Um, the Nigerian context, seeing how so it's organized and how so and effect of the brown envelope. How do you how do you see that? How do you how has that played out in Nigeria in terms of has the citizen journalist displaced the real journalist, in your opinion? So those are two questions. One, how did your childhood, if it did, affect you know the kind of person, you know, the truth-seeking person you are today? And two, do you think that Citizen journalism parts Nigeria. Okay. My childhood, I was born in Morocco. Morocco is just 
down the road. It's where we have um, um what was it called? It's close to. Um, I live in one thousand and four. So yeah. Oh, okay, so you know, you know my corner. <laughs> I know you know my It's the slums of the slums, you know. So yeah. I was I was I was born there. My dad was a civil servant. And we had 11 of us running around in a couple of rooms and all of that. So it wasn't pretty. I mean, I, I would say that to you. Um, it, 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 it wasn't pretty. Um, uh, my formative year wasn't that fine. I mean, living in a storm like Morocco, where you have um, flood water coming into your room during the rainy season. I mean, uh, you know, Morocco was waterlogged, basically, you know, um, where you have- It was reclaimed that, wasn't it? Huh? It was reclaimed land, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was reclaimed land. So so basically, so I understood what poverty was quickly. I mean, from when I was born. I mean, so, so when my car was demolished, we moved to, to Banagri. That was how I became a Banagri boy, kind of. So we moved to Banagri and all of that. So this this thing that journalism helps to fight the wrong in society, because I had been a victim, I've been at that end too. I've seen how government neglects could could um, jeopardize the life of people. How government neglects could make people could impoverish people and and cause life. I mean, I was in primary six when my when my uncle, I was about even my five my sister my my was demolished. You know, we saw people die on the street. We saw people who had nowhere to go. We saw families' lives I'm totally devastated. People who didn't recover from it. People who died and all of that. So growing up, when I I see that even up to now. 30 plus years after Morocco uh, ended, we just see that people like places like Otodombame is still happening. Places like, like that shanty. By this same Lagos state government, it's still happening. And the same playbook that they use for Morocco, they are still using. So you need to understand that there has to be. It's gone off again. Yeah, we've lost it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, sorry. Yeah, back. Sorry. And, oh, you're saying. You know, so it's not, it's not coincidental. That um, I became a, I became a journalist. Um, it's something that I've always I mean not always wanted to do, but this fight for the right of people, this this kind of activism in my blood has always been there and and everything. So it was just easy for me to I mean to just to transcend into journalism, and I got in, into journalism, and it just it just it just clicked. So I, I, I I've seen that. So the other thing is that. Um, the, the other question is um, citizen journalism. Citizen, citizen journalism in Nigeria, yes, is is working, but because see, what what I say is the political climate in Nigeria. I'm always very careful with citizen journalism because because of the professionalism involved in it. Most of these guys are not professionals. And most of these guys are not driven by altruistic motives. Most of them are, yeah, I'm a citizen journalist, but somebody somewhere, one politician somewhere, you are doing the bit of one politician somewhere. You are using whatever you get to, to attack another politician so that your own principal can, can win an election or, or, or something, you understand? Mm. So I'm always suspect, I'm always very careful to say, oh, I support citizen journalism. This is what they do and everything. Um, yeah, without naming names, we have seen publications that said of assisting journalism. We have seen the role that they play later in, in, in the future. I won't name names here. I'll try not to name names. Uh, I don't want to attack <laughs> uh, so, so, but we have seen that. 
and it's, it's a lot of work trying to hold myself from not naming those names, but I'll try this time around. <laughs> so, so we have seen that happen. So I'm, I'm always very careful. I'm always very careful with that, really. I, I believe that since journalism is, is very important, people can still do it. But sometimes you also need a professional to help you handle whatever you have. So what I tell people is that, oh, you have your, your fact, pass it over to, to, if you cannot do it professionally, give it to a professional who will look at the story and report it well. But eight out of 10 journalists in the country are basically students of politicians who are doing one thing or the other, or who needs them to do to blackmail people? We have seen that happen. See, that's why I am always very careful. I'm, I I don't like to sub, I don't like to come and say this publicly. But in some of those cases where you have governors arresting some people and citizen journalists locking them up, the truth is that some of them have whatever they did. They were trying to blackmail those politicians. That's the truth. We won't say this. Up, we won't say this to you. But they were trying to blackmail those politicians. I'm not saying that whatever they had was not real, but because they were using that fact to blackmail politicians. So what, what we saw with the reaction from some of those politicians, you know, we're trying to, to uh, blackmail me, let me deal with you. But I'm not trying to justify the way they have been handled and the way they have been treated. But I'm not saying that this is what happened. You know, the other, we are, we, are, we, are, we are in a country with laws. Even though somebody is trying to blackmail you, follow the due process of law. You don't have to lock them up and throw away the key without starting them to court for several months or, and, and all of that, or because somebody is trying to blackmail you, you're not charging for terrorism, you know, or something like that. So we don't, we don't have to do all of that. So, but yeah, but I understand that some of these citizen journalism also use that whatever they have as, as a tool of blackmail. Is is just the fact? Okay, cool. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting that you know you made um, that point, and I'll let Mondu go. Next, if you have questions, I know we to are. To be honest, yeah. Um, how many how many more minutes do we have, uh, Stanley? I'm like five minutes. Like five minutes. So I think um, you guys have done a fantastic job just covering off everything you've talked about. His childhood, education. Um, is touched on because I was because I was going to ask him about his uh, Morocco experience. He's touched on it. Um, his experience are next and uh, what he currently does at uh, premium time. So well done, um, Stanley. So if I, if I had to ask you, um, I know how you feel about the, um, the current state of politics in Nigeria, and I know how you feel about a lot of our politicians, right? So if you have to pick from the current pool of politicians we have to vote for... Um, one of them to become president, who you pick? You can't not pick anyone. You have to pick somebody. So which politician, uh, which popular politician will you vote uh, for? I'm a journalist. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm, I am, I am Buhari uh, um, May 31st, uh, 2015. Um, I don't stand for anybody. I stand for for anybody, whatever the way he said it. <laughs> you're for you're, you're for nobody. You're for everybody. Yeah, you're for everybody. I'm for nobody. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. So you can't cop out. You can't yeah. cop out. I, I guess yeah. you're you're you also a politician, Nicholas. He is. That's why he is. Because he knows that this is, this is going to be published, right? So in probably 2026, 
if unfortunately that person becomes president, they will drag Nicholas all day. That oh, but the truth is that because, because of my my job as a watchdog, I I, I don't hate any journalists. But and um, I'm not if I'm not your friend as well. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. I'm not your friend. And I don't hate you. So what what, what that immediately says is that. When you mess this up, I mean, when you mess up, I'm going to do the story about you. So if a general, if, if a position messes up, I'm going to write the story. Tomorrow, if it, if it does, when I need, I need to point out some of the good policy that this, that he has done, I will say that without being um, uh, obsequious about it, without being okay. slavish about it. Okay, okay. Yeah. I have, I have yeah. another one for you. I know you've talked a lot about Lagos State Government. Uh, you've, you've done uh, multiple... Um, analysis on the contra- contrast between other state governments, what they are doing, and all. So, which mm-hmm. um, which government, which state government do you think is the most transparent right now in terms of policy and the actions they are taking uh, to make the lives of the people better, based on what you've seen so far? I'm, 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 I've heard, I've heard, I've heard so much um, about Kaduna uh, states, really, about what they are doing. But I mean, the governor is not my best person in the world um, because I have not, I'm not impressed with the way his kids and some of the language he too has used on social media to describe people. I mean, that's the truth. But I've heard good things about him. I've heard about how transparent um, the, the uh, government is. I have not, I must say that I have not personally checked myself, you know. Um, I'm based in Lagos, and that's not an excuse that I, I cannot talk about what other governments, and I, can, I don't know what other governments are doing elsewhere. But I'm based in Lagos, um, um, and I, I kind of I have this emotional attachment to Lagos, and I'm not in, Lagos is down, down, down below there. You have to, when you do the list, Lagos will be at the you don't put Lagos at the bottom. You have to dig a piece and put Lagos under. <laughs> so Lagos is basically in, in the dark. They are not transparent at all. But I've heard good things about Cardinal State. And um, without um, prejudice about the, the governor's uh, personal feelings or whatever he, he does, but I've heard good things about um, transparency and openness uh, in, in, in Cardinal and some other states too. And I hope that... Um, but generally, the Nigerian governors are nothing to write home about, really. Mm. Last question for you. Uh, what advice would you give any uh, young mind trying to be a, a journalist in Nigeria? Anyone aspiring to go into journalism in Nigeria? If you want to be poor, don't, don't, be, don't be... If you want to be rich, don't, be, don't become a journalist. You can never be rich. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to be rich, just find something. Find something, go and learn coding or something. And um, <laughs> and join and write a fintech something and become a, a billionaire in two years. So, <laughs> so don't become... But what I would tell you if you want to become a journalist is that you have to, I mean, um, first know that where you stand, that you, you are with the people. You have to tell... You are here to tell the truth and to speak to the power. You have to be courageous, first thing. You have, and you have to be very professional. Your courage does not mean that you cannot go anyhow. Be professional about it. Be courageous. Don't take sides. Be impartial. I know as human beings, we all have our biases. But don't let your biases show in your work. Be courageous. Speak to power. 
um, at one, one time. And know that whatever you are doing, um, you are doing it for the benefit of the common people, of the everyday citizen of the country. Um, that's what you're doing. And, and seeing the life of people transform for the better should be your profit, really, should be that gain, not money and not, not anything. For me, seeing my story um, have impact in society gives me a whole lot of joy than even when I um, uh, win awards or when I get my salary. Ooh, I mean, yeah. Fair enough. That's um, it for me. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, um, Nicholas. Nicholas, you know, um, and again, if you want to find all of the extensive work that Nicholas, um, you know, have written in Nigeria, you can check uh, mockcrack.com uh, forward slash Nicholas uh, you find extensive almost 700 um, stories that um, he has written um, during his time in journalism. Um, and I wanted to just close by noting that um, in my previous job at Budget, and, I, and this is something that is extremely important to me, when uh, we had discovered that uh, the former Lagos State Governor had, one of the former Lagos State Governor had spent millions of naira building his personal um, website. Website, uh, yeah. And there was a huge controversy. Yeah. That. That's, that's for sure. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure, yeah. It's, it's perhaps one of the most loved, loved, loved governor, but it's perhaps one of the most disappointing governor. I mean, how, how he was able to 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 do that, the PR thing was something else. But let me not, you, yes, let's end this. Let's end this. Because if I start with Fashola now, you open another one hour. Let's go. <laughs> Wow, you what? can't help yourself. I keep saying you can't help yourself. <laughs> yes, um, you know, it, it was really an important uh, incident because I, my team then, where I worked at Budget then, we had found that very critical information. And once we put it out on Twitter, it took a life of its own. And, you know, all kind of political insinuations were, um, were attributed to that discovery, including... Uh, us being accused of being paid by uh, political enemies, and then we're being described as pigs who were the gutter. You know, there were all kind of situations. But um, for us back then, um, um, Nicholas' writing was different from what every other journalist who reported that story did. Uh, he focused on the facts, he refused to be dragged into all of the political insinuation that went into a factual report that there was a documented state-owned evidence that um, uh, that amount of money was spent. So it was really important to us. You know, it was our own first personal encounter to win um, uh, the way uh, Nicholas reported the story. And we were very keen to read all of his follow-up as that controversy uh, played out. So for, for me, I want to say you know, thank you for the work. I have benefited uh, personally from you putting in all of that effort into taking on um, government at that level, supporting the important work we did uh, back in the day. So I want to use that to say thank you. I continue to make the trouble because this is good trouble, as John Lewis uh, said. So we should all make good trouble. So this is good trouble that you're making, and we are grateful uh, for all of the this thing. Please stay safe because we need you to make more of those kind of good more good trouble make, yes yeah yeah make more of those good trouble yeah more good trouble but if you can catch me you know just hashtag i have a club battalion i have my house 
they, 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 they need to eat Gary. No, 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 you, you have done really uh, dangerous things, and I'm sure you know how to stay safe. Right? At least when you think of the battalion you have at home, you know that you need to get back to them, and it's very, very important. No matter how much the admiral informs up, remember that you need to get home to to family. And we really appreciate it. Once you a good job that you do, it's really important that people are taking on um, this kind of work. And especially thank you for making our time to, to hang out with us today. Irrespective of all of the kids running around trying to get your attention. We really appreciate it. Ah, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's no, sister, no, no. So it's, have, it's part of it. We have kids and friends coming. Absolutely. It's, it's, part, sorry, it's part of no, it. No. It will it, 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 it form out of the soundtrack. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Thank All you right, again. Guys. And one love. Thank you. And that's it for us today. A very wonderful discussion we've had with Nicholas. And we'll be back again uh, next Monday with the new Garden. Thank you for watching. Thank you so Bye. much. Thanks so much, Nicholas. Bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye, uh, Nicholas. Bye. Bye. Thanks.